Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And for today's episode, we have very special guest. We have the director of NARCAP, Ted Rowe. We'll be discussing some of his new work, and we also have some new announcements to make that will help benefit the UFO community. So strap on them seatbelts. We're going for a ride. All right, welcome to episode 54 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And I want to let everybody know that today's episode is sponsored by Gypsy Days Outfitters and All Things UFO Facebook group. If you want to be a part of a good community, send us a DM and we'll send you an invite to the group. And uh, we can get you discussing some of your experiences and you can just meet a bunch of uh, nice new people that are in the field that are willing to communicate. Um, and today's episode 54, we have very special guest, the director of NARCAP, Ted Rowe. Ted, how are you doing today? Hi, Jesse. I'm, I'm doing great. Hello to your listeners. It's very nice to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. Um, there's a lot of new stuff to talk about, and um, I'm really excited to, to talk about this and get it out to the public view. Um, and I think you're just as excited about it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so I guess let's start off just to give everybody a background. Um, if you've had some experiences that got you into this field, um, anything like UFO sightings, um, personal experiences, and why you got into the field in general? Well, sure. Um, I, I came by this study, honestly. Um, I've had UAP exposure since I was a little kid. And somewhere in my 30s, I realized I was kind of a above the statistical average for those kinds of experiences that I that I had too many of them, it seemed. And so I started studying carefully. And in the process of doing that, I began having more. And uh, uh, it kind of culminated in one particularly blatant exposure in the middle of Oakland, California, that uh, was very disturbing for me and my fellow witnesses. So I ended up uh, making a, a short report to the public relations office at AIDS Research Center, which was just, I, this happened in Oakland, California. So it was just, AIMS is just down the bay from there. And I, I, I commented that I know the government doesn't study UFOs, but uh, uh, they probably should. And, and if anybody wanted to talk to me, I, I'd had a, a whopper of exposure. And uh, Dr. Richard Haynes got back to me in about six hours I uh, ended up interviewing with him and uh, along with uh, my fellow witnesses. And one thing led to another. And he invited me to become the executive director of his uh, research program at NARCAT, which I took on. And come on, little dog. Hey, come out of here. I'm sorry, I've got, got a crew here. So I, I, I became his uh, executive director of his research program, and I've run NARCAP for 20 some years. Okay, and uh, so I know a lot of people know the name NARCAP, um, and what, what exactly is that, just to give the, the viewers that don't know? Sure, sure. It's the National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena. Our focus is on UAP and aviation safety-related encounters. We, we deal primarily with pilots and air traffic controllers, and we've been doing that for, like I said, well, we're going on 22 years now. We founded it in 2000. 
So uh, our, our focus has been on a confidential reporting program for pilots, aviation professionals. And how do you, how do you, uh, how's the feedback been um, since you started and been the director of NARCAP dealing with pilots? Are, are they very forthcoming or is it still a little bit of a, a stigma to it? Well, things were different 20 years ago. Um, we it, it was so different, in fact, that we had to introduce the term UAP. Um, Dr. Haynes had defined it and uh, made a proper noun out of it. It, it, it was common in the, the literature as an adjective phrase, which meant it was lowercase, just an unidentified aerial phenomenon, right? Um, but uh, we made a proper noun out of it, gave it a definition, and then we began using that instead of UFO, and that opened a lot of doors for us. Uh, with the aviation safety community in particular, but it, but it's been a challenge. Okay. Uh, I have to apologize I, uh, for your listeners. I live out in the country here, and uh, 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 I'm off grid in the middle of nowhere, and I do have a crew of dogs around me that I uh, they're part of my family, so uh, <laughs> I have to kind of bear with me there if I have to deal with it. That's all right, not a problem at all. Um, so you did say that, that you had experiences when you were young. Um, is that the only time you've had experiences or have you had others throughout your life or more recently? Well, I'm 62 years old and, and last time I checked, I have right around two dozen experiences that I remember in pretty good detail. And at least half of those, I wasn't alone. They involved family members or friends. So I, I, I know, you know, I had validation that both of us experienced the same thing, whatever that was. And uh, um, I've been, uh, uh, I've had exposures under a couple of contexts. Once I got into the research phase, I started hunting down hotspots and I had exposures at the hotspots, but those didn't seem to be personal. They didn't have anything to do with me. And then of course, the other exposures that got me into the field to begin with were, seemed to have something to do with me. The one in Oakland, stalked me from miles away, came right up, stopped less than its own length from the windshield of my car. So uh, in that sense, I, I, I've kind of had both types of exposures. So the most recent blatant one that I've had was in uh, here in Hawaii, and it was at a hot spot. It didn't have anything to do with me. I just was there at the right time, the right moment, and saw it. And the native people that lived there had been telling me about it for years. And finally, I was there to see it once. It was exactly what they said it was and pretty much ex exactly what we all agree the phenomena are so wow, that's pretty amazing um what was it was it an actual craft or was this an orb or well it started out it was a ball of light came out of the water um offshore probably half mile offshore so um it was black tide so it was calm and about two o'clock in the morning a little little breeze in the coconut palms a little bit of uh, uh moonlight and uh, the water was just glass flat. And so I look out and I see this orange ball of light come out of the water um, a good ways out. And, and it proceeded to just kind of move towards me. Um, I, I was sitting next to a temple, and uh, uh, an ancient Hawaiian temple. And, uh, uh, and, in, and it turned out that it was sort of a, uh, uh, it was a globe of orange light and embedded in the middle of this globe was a, a, a disc, flying saucer, which was clearly technical. It was, uh, uh, it had surface features, it, it had details on it. It was, uh, and it passed right over my head, less than 100 feet over my head, and then went right up the ravine behind me, which is something that I've been told about for years. 
I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in that bay. I teach free diving, profit diving, and, and I do tours. I tour people around to get them close to sea life, various kinds. And, um, uh, but I, I just happened to be there at the right time and, and in the right 15 second framework when this occurred, and, and I was there to see. So, so yeah, it was technical. It was a disc, a flying saucer. It had three kind of rounded bumps on the bottom of it that were arranged around a center point. And then uh, just inside the rim of the thing, all the way around was a, a ring, dark ring of some kind. And then it had a very flat flange on it. The edges on it were very flat. I couldn't see the upper part of it because of the way the, 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 the front edge of it sort of obstructed the view of the top of it. Uh, but it was clearly a technical object. It was probably 30, 35 feet across. And, and, uh, um, and it moved through the air like a fish through water. I've never seen anything that moves like that. And, and whenever I see them, it, they're, they're distinctive because they're, they, don't, they don't follow the rules of flight. Right, so, right. So have, you, have these experiences uh, pushed you to join this field? Is that, is that how you kind of got involved? And has it helped you um, with research in it as well? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I got involved because, uh, well, Dr. Haynes invited me to, we had talked about the aviation safety issue that seemed to be consistent with a lot of pilot reports. And to me, that made a lot of sense because that made it relevant to more than just the military. And, um, and I, I, I wanted, you know, whatever conversation that should take place about this to be enhanced with public discourse. So um, I got behind the UAP aviation safety angle, even though I'm not, it's not necessarily my forte as far as research goes. And uh, we began to push that narrative, uh, which which got a lot of traction. We picked up a lot of NASA underground engineers and this kind of stuff. Folks came on board. Um, but there, it, there, there's there's a couple of sides of, of these kinds of exposures. One of them is that, that in like in my case, they can make you very sick. Um, I, I I I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, PTSD from from the uh, Oakland exposure and the series that have been going on all my life. Had no support, no uh, nobody was looking out for me as a witness, and uh, uh, that included Dr. Haynes and Dr. Billy and Dr. Ike. Dr. McClenahan and all the other folks we had in our crew, they were uh, they were somewhat interested in what I had to say about what I saw, but they weren't terribly interested in my health, my mental health around the subject. Um, and when I think back on it, um, I, I part of, part of me says, you know, I never should have gotten involved with ufology. I never should have gotten involved with any of these guys, and or done any of this work, but. Um, but it was a mentorship and, and eventually they all fell away and I ended up running the program and now it's in my image and I, I do it my way and I, I feel differently about it. Um, but, uh, but there was a lot of adaptation with it and a lot of, uh, personal struggle and it still continues. I, there are times when I don't want to go outside and look up, you know, I mean, for all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times I go out and look up and there's nothing there. It, that one time when there is, is a reason for me not to go outside some days. Right. It's a, it, it never really goes away, but you learn how to manage it. And you learn how to notice that when you're stressing. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. 
yeah absolutely you know, it's kind of like it's a trauma anomalous trauma you know um and uh just yeah. like the ptsd and i completely understand that I've, I've, I've worked with many people that have had that and it's not something that's easily worked with or dealt with so i uh i know well, it, it, it it falls under a couple of headings first off it's entirely unknown you know you don't know what it is it's completely even even if you've had some exposures with it you've got a general idea of what it is you don't know what it is the second part of it's not in your control you can't you can't i mean these things show up in places where i didn't know i was going to be 15 minutes before i got there you know so there, and there's no stopping it you can't say okay no I, I, i'm gonna go in the house and shut the door and this is going away it doesn't happen like that right um you don't you don't have any control um can't defend yourself there's uh and and it and it's so outside i used to compare it to like swimming in open water and having you know 15 foot of tiger shark swimming around you and uh uh and then i ended up with 15 foot of tiger shark swimming around me. it wasn't <laughs> like that at all i i had i had a good time with a tiger shark you know right. <laughs> comparatively speaking i you know i had a better time with with uh, with the uncertainty of swimming with a known danger than i did with an unknown absolutely absolutely um, so, I, you know, you've been a, a huge benefit to the community and, and you're known for your research and the work that you do, not only in, in the spotlight, but behind the scenes as well. Um, and one of those things that you're working on now is with AIAA. Um, and not many people know about this or, or know the acronym or what it means. So could you kind of explain the work you're doing and what that, uh, uh, that, that means? Sure, sure. The, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, um, it's the premier professional society for aeronautical sciences and engineers. They've got a huge membership, some 30,000 members and international. Uh, it, it involves uh, defense contractors, uh, NASA employees, and so on. Um, and uh, last summer when the ODNI report came out, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released their findings on UAP. Along with the reality of UAP, they cited uh, three primary concerns national security, aviation safety, and uh, a stigma that was inhibiting research uh, and conversation on the subject. <clears throat> and about a month later, or not a month, literally a week later, I got a call from AIAA uh, asking me if I'd be willing to present our findings at NARCAP to the uh, uh, AIAA membership at their AV21 conference in, in last August. And so uh, a small, uh, I was one of five or six people that were invited to do this. And so we, we presented as a panel uh, advocating for the scientific research of unidentified aerial phenomena. Then about a month later, they called us back to form a small development team. And I became a development team specialist, a subject matter specialist for uh, the group to uh, develop a, a program inside AIAA to engage on the aviation safety and stigma aspect of the ODNI report. And so I spent the last seven months uh, helping to design and prepare that program, uh, which, which we're rolling out here at the end of this month with the AV22 conference. We're having another panel discussion and we're gonna have some more experts in, in aviation safety and uh, other areas speaking out on, on the subject. So. That, that's that's the AIAA. It's a very important development. We're going to be calling for papers and having technical engagement. We'll have technical forums 
and so on. So the people who are uh, doing science and engineering related work on UAP can have a chance to bounce it off of peers and uh, 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 see engagement by the larger scientific community. So that that's the AIAA program in a nutshell. Okay, and is there is there somewhere that people can follow this at? Is there a website for it? Well, um, we have a uh, in the engage the engage section of the AIAA website is a, a segment for our UAP program. Right now, we're referred to as the UAP COI, which is Community of Interest, and uh, uh, that's going to change probably. Our status is going to change with the group here sometime shortly. Um, if you go on Twitter, uh, our handle on Twitter is at AIAA underscore UAP. And uh, uh, that that's one of our our uh, outlets for information. We're, we're, our, our, we're just developing our digital footprint right now. AIAA is going to have more materials for us as our process develops here. So. But, but those are the initial contact points we have. So are you guys working with pilots again within this this project that you're doing now? Uh, not directly. No, this is more about developing uh, strategies and modalities for uh, mitigating aviation safety factors, okay. both in air traffic, space traffic management, as well as airborne and ground-based. So this will, uh, this will basically be like a, a, a um, something that pilots will use as a tool then correct right well ideally we're going to come up with a detection system uh i you know some way of actually knowing when these things are around and they'll either be ground-based around aviation facilities or they'll be airborne or spaceborne uh, but but ideally uh we'll get to a point where we can detect them technically and and, in, and include that in the um uh, collision avoidance systems of, of aircraft yeah, that's amazing. Um, and it's great to have all these different people that you're working with um, to make this happen. And this will be very beneficial to pilots and, and uh, our Navy fight fighters and, 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 and our fighter jets. Um, so it's absolutely amazing that you're going to be able to do that in the future and what you're doing now to get that moving forward. Well, our primary focus is going to be on general aviation and global aviation. So while we start with, with taking care of um, the commercial airlines and air crews, uh, you know, inside of our own country, we're, we're going to be reaching out to other countries who have similar concerns and interests and, uh, and developing a global program. There's the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is a, a part of the UN, which is basically the global FAA. And they set the standards for regional uh, air traffic management and so on. Uh, and, you know, uh, and, and safety factors of every kind that, that are related to uh, uh, flight. You know, um, standardize it. That's why most airports look the same. That's why most air aircraft maintenance is managed in the same way. Um, all the systems are designed so that one bolt is found to be bad in one aircraft in one place. All bolts everywhere are examined and removed and replaced. You know, that that kind of situation. So right. well, hopefully it, this is going to range a lot further. The, the DOD is going to take care of our military flyers. Um, and I think where our focus is going to be on the larger picture. Okay. And then you also said that NASA was getting involved with your team, correct? Well, yeah, not necessarily involved with, with, with our team so much as we're, we, you know, we're developing relationships. And now that this NASA program is going online, we're, we're developing a relationship with that, that team also. Uh, they're, they're just 
starting out and uh, we're not that far ahead of them. So, but, but yeah, we're making sure that we have uh, uh, communications. We have NASA people in our program uh, that are members of both AIAA and our working NASA scientists. So there, there is some overlap already. Okay. Yeah, that was kind of into my next question. Uh, what kind of people are working on this project with you? Or is this a mixture of different doctors and physicists and, and people of that sort? Or, or what is it exactly? It's a little bit of uh, everything. It's a bit eclectic. Um, our, uh, our core team includes Dr. Ravi Koparapu, who's a, a NASA planetary scientist, works at Goddard. Uh, he's an astrophysicist. Uh, uh, Mr. Peter Rialli, who's a, a software engineer, um, but, but is a, uh, experienced in project management. Um, Ryan Graves, who's a, a, a F-18 UAP witness, right? Yes. Um, uh, 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 Philippe Alaris, who uh, he, he's a, uh, he, he works with ESA, but, but he, uh, of course, none of, none of these affiliations I'm sharing with you are actually associated with our program there it's not official you know right. uh, but but he's uh, uh he's a research scientist for for esa uh, amongst other things and then of course myself i'm just a devil make air flying fool with uh <laughs> su subject matter expert and uh, uh decades of experience wallowing around in all of this yeah um, that's great it's that it's absolutely cool to have all these different people coming together to work towards something within the UAP field, especially something as important as this, working with, um, you know, our, our flight and uh, people that are going to be, be able to be protected because of what you're doing now. So that's, it's great. It's great work you're doing. And, and you yourself always bring the next step and the next level and everything. And I love that about you. Um, so it's, it's, it's amazing to see you doing this kind of work. Thank you. Thank you. It's, um, you know, a lot of folks would think, well, flight safety, obviously, I mean, they're, they're UFOs, right? They're piloted. They don't want to hit anything. They're going to avoid us. And uh, I'll tell you, when, when you read uh, these witness reports from pilots about what they experience, they, they have no reason to believe that they're safe. And even if, if the, the, the object is avoiding them, the pilots could make an input that could lead to catastrophe. So it's a, a, there, there's a real issue here, and it needs to be addressed. So I'm happy to be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it'll be very beneficial to not only the UFO community, but the pilots themselves. And uh, and really, we'll, we'll, we'll make the footprint for how we, we, we do flight safety in the future. So it's great. Um, so have you been working on anything else um, besides this lately? Um, anything that you wanted to bring up and talk about? Yes, yes, of course. And, <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, actually, I've been working with you. Yes, and, and yes. Uh, uh, I mentioned earlier that that I I'd had some mental health issues associated with my own exposures, and um, and now that I'm taking we're, we're in a recruiting phase, we're pulling in new scientists and new researchers for our other programs, and I, I started worrying about them, thinking about well, you know, uh, these these are fairly narrow thinkers. They're very interested in how that little ball of white does what it does. Uh, but they haven't got to the point of asking why it's doing what it does. Right. And in my case, uh, you know, there's a definite why behind it. And not everybody's prepared to manage it psychologically. And, and the more they dwell on this, the more vulnerable they become to mental health issues. So I, I wanted to shore that up and, and be of some support 
and I realize that the mental health community is not not at all prepared for this. They're mistreating and misdiagnosing people with exposures, and then and then people and misunderstanding people who don't have exposures but are using them as an excuse for whatever their particular Correct. disease is. Yeah. Um, so I, the, to me, there was a problem there, and I felt that that uh, the the mental health community needed to be informed. Absolutely. Yeah. So I started. So I started putting a program together and I invited you to participate with it. And uh, we have some other folks coming on board who are mental health professionals. And um, right now, um, we'll probably take a look at more medical issues as well, because there's more to it than just mental health. But, but our, our, our initial focus is around the mental health community and, uh, and informing and supporting mental health professionals uh, at that level, not so much developing a clearinghouse for witnesses but but we're actually trying to inform the professionals that are that may find themselves working with them yeah and i think that's something uh, really big that needs to be done especially because they have no background with this whatsoever so when cases like this come up they have no idea how to deal with an experiencer that's coming to them medically for something um, and there's no nothing in their rule books to help uh, uh, officiate that so I think what we're doing here is really going to be big, and I think it's something that's highly needed because many people get mixed, missed, misdiagnosed, like you said earlier, um, and it doesn't really fix the the problem in hand. Um, so I think this will really do some good stuff um, to really help these people when they go to get help from these medical professionals. Um, so it's absolutely great. And I, I want to hold off here and that uh, we can continue for the next rest of the episode when we come back um, and get really into sure. the details about what the projects entails and what, it, what we're going to be doing, um, because this is great sure. information here for the people. So we're going to go ahead and take our break and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. <laughs> The official sponsor of UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast hosted by Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia, is Gypsy Days Outfitters. Go check out their brand new store over at Etsy. They have a variety for everybody and everything. So check them out today. Again, that's Gypsy Days Outfitters, the official sponsor of our show. Are you looking for some new swag? Well, UFO Encounters Worldwide now has an official clothing line and store where you can get your official merchandise. It's storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide. You can select from a large variety of all kinds of gear, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, masks, can cozies, and more. We'll be adding more designs as time moves on, but there are two amazing ones on there now. And if you're looking to also support the show, you can sponsor to our PayPal and donate if you like. If not, that's okay too. Check out our swag store. Again, that's storefrontier.com slash UFO Encounters Worldwide today. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak, at UFO Encounters Worldwide at gmail.com today. Hey! 
Did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. All Things UFO Facebook group is now the official sponsor of UFO Encounters Worldwide. It's the place where I go to get my information. They have the latest UFO news with the best topics and ran by amazing people. You go there and it's a group environment where you can share your stories with other people and get answers to the questions you need. Check them out today. That's All Things UFO Facebook group. I go there and you should too. Have you or someone you know had a UFO sighting and experienced some kind of electrical malfunction? Well, we have good news. We have started a project called Project Bat Tech 404. Battery technology and 404 stands for an error code you get with technology. You can report your UFO sighting that experienced electrical malfunctions at battech404researchmembers at gmail.com. You can also check out the official website, which explains all of our goals that we're looking to accomplish and how it's going to benefit the UFO community. This is a public project, so we also share the cases we have researched for the project. The website is projectbattech404.wordpress.com. Check it out today. And if you know somebody that has had an encounter, please email us so we can help the research and the data grow. Thank you. Welcome back to the second half of episode 54 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. I'm sitting here with our special guest today, the director of NARCAT, Ted Rowe. Uh, right before the messages, uh, we talked about a new project that we are working on, myself and Ted, and uh, how we're bringing in uh, different people to help educate the medical professionals that have to deal with UAP situations and experiencers. Um, so I guess I wanted to leave it off to you, Ted, to talk about, I guess, you know, who we're bringing, like maybe, you know, the type of people we're bringing in um, and our, our overall goals with this project. Sure, sure. Um, um, pardon me, I've got a rambunctious little puppy right here with me, so <laughs> everybody can sit in with that. Um, so what we're looking for is a cross-section of, of the medical community that, that is specializing in, in, for example, in the mental health folks, we're looking for trauma experts um, and others. We're also looking for sociologists and anthropologists. We're looking for uh, 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 various types of uh, uh, counselors that may find themselves dealing with people who've had exposures or people who are using exposures as a cover for something else. Um, and uh, we, we brought together a little core team that's that's pretty good uh, to deal with the operations and basic development cycle of the program. And now we're looking for uh, credentials to, to help us uh, carry those messages into the professional community. 
people that could write articles, people that could uh, talk a little bit about how to integrate some of these uh, these kinds of experiences uh, into the mainstream uh, as they should have been years ago. Yeah, it's definitely something that should have been done years ago. And um, unfortunately, it's left people and experiencers that have dealt with this um, and many times the wrong situation because they're being misdiagnosed and people are sending them to psych institutes when that's not what they need. They need to address the internal problem, the main problem that's up front with dealing with UAP. And because they don't have the experience, it doesn't usually turn out correctly. You know, and I think it, it, it's it's because the experience isn't generally accepted as real or possible. It's treated kind of tongue in cheek. It isn't given the, the seriousness and the deference that it, it, it should get. And uh, uh, that's got to change. Right? It, it's not delusion. Uh, I, I hear professionals refer to abduction delusion and this kind of thing. It's, right. uh, all of that has to change. Um, and, and it started with the ODNI report acknowledging that UAP exists. They're real. These are real objects. We don't know what they are. And we have to accept that people are, are exposed to these things, that there's a larger story than just the military detecting a few of these things. Uh, they're actually, that's actually a confirmation of 100 years of, of this information. I have 100 years of pilot reports, uh, beginning with anecdotes. And people say, well, they're not supported by instrumentation. Well, that, the anecdotes started before it, there was instrumentation. Right, right. You know, yep. <laughs> that, you know, back when airplanes flew by wires, and nobody knew, you know, all they had was a compass, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I mean. So I anyway, think, the, yeah, good. And 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 you know, I've got my own experience with all of this, and I suffered badly, uh, and I'm still not okay. Uh, and and a lot of it has to do with you know knowing that if I go and talk to a professional, the chances are very good that they're not going to take me seriously to begin with. So how, how can I take their remedy or their solution, their idea of what ought to be done seriously? How can I get enthusiastic about about a, a pathway to treatment when I know that they don't believe me? Right. And and I and I think a lot of people, a lot of experiencers, find themselves in the same spot. They're having real trouble. They're losing family and friends. They're they're um, they're having trouble functioning in, in their day to day lives. And then and then on top of it, uh, there's no help. The the psychological profession is not geared towards supporting them. So, this is something I want to address. Yeah, very absolutely. Um, and I get it all the time because I'm, I am part of the MUFON Experience Resource Team. And and I mean, people come to us and they're like, you know, there was nowhere. I went to so many different people, hospitals and and doctors and therapists, and and nobody could help me. Um, and 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 it's a real, it's a serious issue right now. It is. It is. And and I think, you know, um, like like I said, you know, when I bring thinking minds into this, people who are engineers and professionals and they some of them have their own exposures i mean i've had a number of people in our recruiting process you know announce that hey they've been waiting for this because they've seen them themselves right and then i've got other people that that although they haven't seen them um they're going to think about what they're seeing and at some point it's going to sink in what they're looking at and that's going to lead to problems in my opinion um i personally am not in the camp that this is a good situation and, and if this thing does represent incursions by non-human intelligences, and it, and it, it, and it sorely, sorely could, um, then it's not a good circumstance. These are not, this isn't a happy time. 
you know, these are not uh, positive. Uh, the, these exposures don't lead to positive outcomes, I think, for humanity. Yeah, not at all. And I think the people that we're bringing together in this in this group and, and what you started, um, I think we've really got a good group of people to, to, to begin with this. And um, the backgrounds are all there, I think. Um, and we got a really really um, diverse group of people with, with these backgrounds that are all over and can really benefit this project. Um, and I think uh, it's going to be a really good thing for the future. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, but it's worth doing to help benefit humanity in the long run and these people that are having these issues. I I, I think so. That's that's why I'm doing this. We, we, we'll get this thing stood up and then um, and we'll just see. I know we're not the only ones that are concerned about this, which is heartening. I, I'm glad there are allies out there. I know there are other people that are thinking about these processes. We're, we're, we, we have a very specific approach in what we're doing, so it, it should be supportive to others, not, not competitive. Uh, and, and again, this is another process that needs to go global. There are entire populations that are underserved because of this stigma, this bias against um, uh, accepting that UAP experiences happen. You guys, come on, stop. I'm sorry, I got my coordinator arrest. Come on. That's okay. Come over here and sit. Um, so I guess let's so, kind of get into, I mean, we can kind of discuss, I guess, what some of these people are dealing with and on, on the experiencer level um, and, you know, how they're being affected with their mental health, um, which is why they go to get help. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, there are some issues that, that come with these exposures, particularly when, uh, UAP seem to show a direct interest in, in you when, when they come right up to you. Um, they're, they, depending on what you're made of, what your background is, what your childhood was like, how secure you've been in your life, the kind of support you have around you, um, your responses to this are going to be variable. And, and, and if any of those areas are deficient in a big way, you, you aren't going to be able to stomach this on your own, and it's going to be, be very difficult. I I was, I, I had spent 10 years studying, knowing that I had exposures, and yet when I had this this one in Oakland, it, it broke me. I, I, it took about, it took about 10 years to completely fall apart, but, but I started losing family and losing friends, uh, obviously losing job opportunities and other things that were coming up because I, I, I just wasn't well. I wasn't okay. I wasn't in some fantasy land of tinfoil hats or anything, but but I couldn't stop talking about it. I was scarred, and uh, and the thing came right up to the car. I mean, it, there's no question it was paying attention to me, and that that sensation um, it's pretty lonely. Uh, you you it's a sense of if you if you aren't of a warrior mindset to begin with, you you may not have what it takes to process that. Absolutely, uh, and and you might. You might end up delusional, telling yourself, oh, you know, you've been touched by the hand of God. You are so special. The little alien beings are very interested in you, and that means it's all good, love, and light. And you felt good when it was all over. Therefore, it must have been a good good thing. And um, there's, uh, it's just coping mechanisms, and, and, there's, and they're not, they're, they're invalid, okay? Those aren't actual truths, okay? It's just what you tell yourself in order to function. Um, so that you can get out of the house every day and walk around without living in complete terror. Right. And I'm getting tired of this. Settle down. It's like having a couple of two-year-olds 
just slugging it out around you here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that that most people are not geared to deal with this. And then I think the ones that are, they just stomach it and move on and you never hear about it. That's why right. you get a lot of the, the, the people who are mentally damaged end up being in ufology. They become voices uh, because they can't help it. They can't stop themselves. And then other people who, who have a different sensibility just never bring it up. Yeah. Uh, and I've run into scientists. I've run into scientists who've seen them that, that, that were that way. They had family. They had friends. They had everything they needed around them in order to function. And they had the presence of mind not to mess it up. And uh, 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 a lot of folks just don't have that. They just don't. They need help. Right. I sure did. Yeah, I've, I've uh, met a lot of people that were not able to handle it. And um, if they did not have people in their life that were within the ufology field, um, it probably would have went in a total negative way. Um, I myself, I'm an experiencer as well. I've had two to three major experiences. Um, most were negative except for the one. Um, so, and if you're not ready, I mean, most people will say, yeah, I, I'm ready. I want to meet ET. Um, I'll have no problem with that. But when the time comes and you're really um, face to face with something that you have never seen or never been exposed to before, you immediately go to that fight or flight and um, it's a whole new situation. So when it does happen to these people, like you said, if you're not in that warrior mentality and you don't have um, a good head on your shoulders, it can tear you apart and break you down. Um, and this is when the people go to get help and they don't have it. That's right. That's right. That's a good, good uh, overview of it. I, I think that, that a lot of it involves um, uh, that, that that sense of, of vulnerability that people don't want to accept that they've been violated. They don't want nobody wants to accept that they that that something's going on that they're not in control of. Right. And and that it's not a good good thing. Um and I would just advise people that come away, you know, uh, you know, like I've I've heard numbers like 80% of people think that this is a good situation. Settle down. 80% of people seem to come away and they're all happy with their exposure with their little gray space brothers and this kind of thing. And about 20% aren't. And my feeling has been that, that um, you know, ju judicious application of microwave can leave you with a screened emotion and you can feel super happy no matter what's happening to you. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and, and so, you know, the reality of it is, is that you can't stop it. You can't keep it from happening. It will happen. And, they don't talk to you. Um, you talk to yourself. The experiences themselves are absolutely sterile. The thing yes. just comes, stuff happens, then it leaves, and um, and it's absolutely sterile. You project everything on it. Oh, they're here. Oh, they're my friends. Oh, they're going to do this. Oh, I'm feeling this way. Blah blah blah. That's all you. Yeah. And um, and I think that a lot of people just have a, have that basic perceptual problem of understanding that they're being preyed upon. That that these things. They come in the night. They don't respect geopolitical boundaries. They don't respect personal boundaries, psychological boundaries, physical boundaries, and um, and you can't stop them. Uh, so, I mean, that's what we have military and police force. You know that we 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 have these functions specifically to protect us from that kind of thing, and uh, and that's why we have personal arms. You know, to protect ourselves, and uh, and yet. There, there's some argument that, that we're just misunderstanding what's happening here. And, and I say judge, judge it by, by what's taking 
place. You know, it's not a good situation, and you can't protect yourself. And you need support and understanding. And you know, I I think a lot of people really aren't ready for that message. I think that a lot of society really doesn't need to feel that way about this. That right. uh, if you're not if you're not exposed to it, you really shouldn't be thinking about it. You right. be be be, an, be a good human and, and moving our our humanity forward. Right. Being positive about what human beings are and what our future can be, and, and uh, uh, let let those of us who've been terrified worry about what needs to be done next. Yeah, I mean, I try to I try to tell other people. I'm like, you know, you, you all have these protocols for being a psychologist or a counselor when people come to you with other different kind of mental health issues, and and there's implications that are put in place to help these people and these individuals because it's been happening for some time. Well, this is the same thing, but it's a different level. And they need the help just as much as anybody else needs the help in a different situation. Um, and there's no reason that we shouldn't have that help in place to help these individual experiencers. I, I agree. And it's really about pr- providing a knowledge base that, that is accessible and is, is, is reliable so that they can start once, once professionals can accept that these things happen, they can start writing their own papers, and working through their own issues in terms of what it is. I, this program we're standing up here isn't to define how psychology and medical science should look at these situations. It's to encourage them to look at it. Right. They're the experts, right? right? But what they need to understand is that these things actually happen. And uh, and nobody really knows how far down the rabbit hole it goes. You know, when when does when does it become delusion when the experiencer is telling you about what they, they've had? I don't know. Uh, having seen plenty of strange myself, I, I'm very careful about dismissing what other people say they've been exposed to. Uh, but medical science and psychology needs that touchstone, that fundamental understanding that these things really happen. And then, and then, hey, they're the geniuses. They're the they're the PhDs. Let them let them write the papers. Let them put it in their journals. Let them argue it out in terms of how best to engage. But at least then they're doing something. Right. Other than just ignoring it like they have for the last hundred years. Yeah. And that's why I'm so happy to be a part of this project with you and, and the others that are involved, because we're really going to kind of set the tone to get this started in the right direction with the, the correct research and the right information, because we have been there ourselves and experienced this kind of thing before. Um, so it's not just somebody being thrown in here to do a job to look into something. No, we've been there. We've done that. And we want to get this educated to the public in the medical field. So I think it's amazing yep. to do this, and um, I'm happy to be on board. Well, and I'm, I'm happy to have you. You've been an asset, and and we've got a number of folks in the group that that are are I'm very pleased with, and and I, I anticipate some good things coming of this. And I person, this has been a personal goal of mine for quite some time to stand stand something up like this because I've suffered myself, and for the longest time, I mean, I ran NARCAP for. 17 18 years before i could even admit that i'd seen uap myself right um i i mean i shared it with friends you know sometimes you know private conversations and stuff but i couldn't i i actually at the aiaa conference last year in my presentation i mentioned an observation the the, the one i of, of the uap coming out of the water um and described that and and allowed them to think of me as somebody with direct experience. They need to understand that, that, that there are researchers with direct experience and that if they're going to be researchers, they can get direct experience. There are places they can go to see these things. So um, 
you know, you take every little bit of ground you can as you can, right? But for for the longest time, I couldn't even admit that I'd had experiences. It was like, okay, you've got experience with the subject matter that disqualifies you. Obviously, you're not neutral. You're not. Um, you have a bias, and. I mean, does does a guy have a bias because he knows a certain species of snake lives on a certain island and he has to go there and see it? You know, um, that's not a bias no. uh, because he knows the snake exists, right? And right. other people aren't aren't because they haven't seen it. You know, and so anyway, there's there's a lot of irrationality around this, and uh, I'm gratified because real scientists and real engineers really don't care about the debate. They just want the data. They have their own good minds and and. Uh, their own ideas and the, and they that the, the their studies and their background uh, is their toolkit and they will bring that to bear on on the subject out of their own curiosity and they won't bring a bias to it. Most of them, most of most of them are pretty good about it. Yeah, you know they. But I've got seventy one technical teams at AIAA covering every aspect of flight and concern about flight from supersonics to materials engineering to you name it, you name it. All they want is the data. They they aren't they aren't saying, oh, this is stupid. We shouldn't be looking at UAP. They're just saying, show us what we should be looking at. Exactly. And we'll tell you what we think of it. And it's great to have that that's very hard. open minds, you know. And like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's 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 great to have those people on board. And, and with the project that I'm directing right now, we have a couple scientists that are on board, and it was very it, it shocked me how quickly they were um, ready to get involved and and to and to get the data. Um, so I, I see with some of the people we're getting on board now within the medical field, how, how quick it's happening. It's like people have been waiting for this and, and now you're kind of heading this and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to turn out great. I think. I think so. And, and, you know, one point I want to make too is, is that how you talk about this is really, really important. You know, uh, and I mentioned this, you know, on both my teams uh, that, that well, all three of my, my programs at this point, that we start everybody in the shallow end of the pool. You don't throw the whole, mythology of ufos out you just start at the shallow end right. these things happen right and and they're willing they're they're a lot of them are willing to step up they 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 don't want to just draw a line in it they want to consider themselves open-minded they want to consider themselves unbiased so give them the chance and so if you if you speak to them you know not as a not as a believer but as somebody who has information that they need to know and then make sure that that information is well vetted um you can get some honest opinions and uh, honest engagement, and that that what more do you want? Uh, what more are you going to ask for? You know, right. Just, just come come without your bias, and, and it, the, the situation's real. And either there's enough there that you'll want to engage with it, or there isn't. But but uh, but come and look. Yeah, and, and they are. That's how that's how we have to get people to get involved. That's absolutely that's fine, and and if they're willing to, I think it's great. And and like you said, they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 surprising. Um, and a lot of them are doing it confidentially, and that's something I want to mention. Our program that that we're standing up here is a confidential program. If you decide you want to participate in it, nobody's going to be broadcasting your 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 name and credential out there unless you do. Okay. Um, but but our our process is it's confidential. Um, people need to be able to come and make inquiry and ask questions and 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 have dialogue without worrying about their professional image being damaged. And that's still a possibility. And so we, we function in a confidential way. We do the same thing with NARCAP. All of our pilot reporting is confidential. So same kind of thing. 
Yeah, and I, I like, um, you know, how we, we have put rules in place and implemented um, different levels of security. And I think that's great. Um, we've, we've talked about, I mean, HIPAA, we've talked about confidentiality. We have talked about different levels to make sure things run the proper way. Um, and everything about the project is just headed in a great direction. So, yeah, I'm loving it, man. <laughs> well, if, if, yeah, and if there's any um, mental health or medical professionals out there that are interested or curious, they can reach out. Um, we're still getting our digital footprint together, but I can be reached at uh, at my email address at NARCAP, and, or they can reach out to you, Jesse. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, um, all that will be posted up, I, I, I would imagine, with the uh, uh, with the actual announcement of this interview. Yeah, uh, as soon as it, yeah, as soon as, uh, you'll, you'll be able to find all the information of this stuff in the description of the episode below. Um, so you guys can get all that information if you want to get involved. You know, you can email either one of us. Um, and I just wanted to say real quick because I don't think many people know that I do have kind of have a background in the medical mental health field. Um, I, I am certified through the Born This Way Foundation um, and the Jack.org. Um, I have my certificate there, and I was also a counselor for six years, working with young adults and counseling them. And I work now with the MUFON ERT, so I do have experience in this, and I I just don't think people knew that. So that's why I kind of got involved myself. So, and I think it's good to have that out there to let people know. They're probably like, why is Jesse involved? Well, this is why I'm involved. (laughs) And Yeah, you got got a background, and and that's probably going to grow, you know, people people get new credentials over time. You know, they start in one area and they end up in another you know, over time. And that's, you never know how that's going to go. Uh, but, but yeah, welcome aboard. And, and uh, along with the, the PhDs that we're looking for, we're certainly looking for the, 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 the counsel, counselor level uh, practitioners as well. And, and we're also looking for medical people, uh, radiology, neurology, uh, et cetera, you know, wherever, wherever you think that your your discipline might overlap with the UAP program, reach out and talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Might be, might be surprised. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's pretty much all the information about the project. Is there anything you want to touch on before we go ahead and wrap this up today? Well, um, I just want to say that, that, you know, I know that there are listeners out there who found themselves pretty isolated by what they've been exposed to. And that's why they're probably listening. There's a compulsion that comes with it. And again, it can be really challenging to get through the day. And I just wish them all the best and uh, want them to know that they're thought about and that that even I'm, I'm probably one of the few uh, members of ufology that's matriculated up into the mainstream as far as science and research goes. And I I, I just want people to know that there are that, that the mainstream world is beginning to sit up and pay attention to this. And how it handles this is really dependent on how people get behind. Yeah, you can get behind those of us that are doing the good work. Um, we really need your support and uh, your involvement if you if you have the the interest in the uh, uh, tool set to to bring. Yeah, and I think um, it'll be great to have some more um, intelligent minds that are really passionate about this to hop on board and. And uh, really make this the best of what it can be. Do you know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. The more good minds, the better. Uh, and you know, we're, we don't care what you look like. You know, just 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 bring your good mind. You know, yeah. That's that's what we're concerned. So. Exactly. Um, so I, I want to thank you for coming on today, Ted. Um, I think this is really good information. People are going to appreciate this, and I'm happy we got to announce it here for the first time so far. 
Um, and I think everybody will really take it well. Um, and uh, I look, I'm happy to, and I look forward to moving forward with this. <laughs> yes, yes, it, it's, it's. I think it's going to be an interesting ride, and and uh, uh, just everybody just keep doing the good work, and and uh, I, I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you very much for the chance to talk about it. Absolutely, Ted. Um, it was a pleasure, and uh, thank you for coming on today. And I just want to remind everybody that today's episode was sponsored by Gypsy Days Outfitters and All Things UFO Facebook group. If you'd like to get involved, like I said, send us a DM and we will invite you. And we also have a new sponsor. It's GD, Thing, uh, GD Things and Blings. Um, their store will be coming out soon. Um, and I'll have that in the episode as soon as they uh, arrive. So thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode 54 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. I'm your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania. And until next time, keep your eyes in the sky. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's episode 54 of UFO Encounters Worldwide with our special guest today, which was Ted Rowe, the director of NARCAP. And I hope you guys will be looking forward to some of the new stuff that will be coming out very soon in the future that me and Ted talked about today. Um, and I also want to give a big thanks to our sponsors who continue to make this show happen every week. And that is Gypsy Days Outfitters. And that'll be all things UFO Facebook group like to join a great community of people send us a dm and we'll get an invite to the group as for next week we have eric schlimmer who is the uap therapist we'll be talking about uaps and mental health which is a big subject in today with experiencers so i hope to see you guys have a great week and we will see you back here next week so until then keep your eyes in the sky